Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. So we're going to talk about products today, dangerous products and what to do about them. That's a good topic. So um, first of all, I want to make sure that when we talk about this, we explain what we mean when we use some terms of art, because you obviously have been doing this for a, a few years now. Um, what are dangerous products and how do they fit into our practice here? In their simplest terms, defective or dangerous products are ones which cause harm to people. Uh, the law of products liability is designed to prevent personal injury. They're not really directed toward economic injury. But, but they want to keep the consumer in particular uh, as safe as possible. And here at Johnson Voorhees and Martucci, when we have products cases, uh, very often it's you and I who end up handling them. And so at this podcast, we want to help people understand what those dangerous products are and what kind of claims can arise from them. Um, where would you start? Well, start with, I think I mentioned consumer products. Uh, there are some products that, uh, you know, industrial products uh, that we don't get too involved in here, primarily consumer products. And that's any product that the consumer or his family or even friends and neighbors may come into contact with. Okay. Uh, the ways that a product can be dangerous basically fall into three categories. One is if there is a design defect. And that means that the way the thing is made from the beginning, it, it designed, is dangerous. Okay. It, it didn't use enough steel or it, it, it's made, it, for example, uh, bookcases uh, that fall over onto children, it, clearly improperly and, and designed, dangerously designed. Now let me stop you there for a second and flesh that out for a minute. So these bookcase cases, um, no pun intended, where a child starts to pull themselves up on it and it falls over the child, there's something wrong about the way that bookcase is designed. Yes. What's the design defect? It, it's one thing they look at is foreseeable use or even foreseeable misuse. <clears throat> Can you expect a child to try to climb up a bookcase? Sure. Absolutely. Don't we all? <laughs> yes. As children, we do. Uh, there's something up on the top shelf or even on top of that that they want to get at. And, and if a child can do that in a foreseeable way and the bookcase falls over, then it's not adequately stable. Okay. And so maybe you have to have one of those um, nails in the back of the bookcase that secures it to the wall. Maybe you have to have a more rigid base that keeps it from being able to be pulled forward. Stuff like that. Yeah. You have to engineer the issue. And in fact, there's an entire uh, field of study called safety engineering mm -hmm. that looks at whether the design is adequate. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It started uh, in World War II, and then with the rocket program after that, they wanted to know why rockets didn't go up you know, when they're supposed to. So safety engineering and failure analysis went into all that. So safety engineering is really rocket science, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> started off that way, but it's actually pretty simple from an engineering point of view. Because it, 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 they have to look at what can go wrong. Right. And then they have to analyze how do we prevent that from happening. Okay. Let me give another example, uh, just so we're sort of tracking. The bookcases, we don't see as many of anymore. I remember for a while, there were a whole lot of these um, 
stove tip over cases with the same idea as a child grabs hold of the door. You remember those? Uh, it, yes. Uh, the you're talking about the cook stove. I am. It, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, but because they were made for an adult to use, mm-hmm. but children go into the kitchen, smelly, nice smelly things are on top of the stove, and children will want to get up there to wherever it is you're, you're cooking. And so that has to be foreseeable. And when you mention stove, it, I was also thinking about heaters. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the portable heaters are designed to be uh, put anywhere you want them, which means that they're possibly going to be kicked over or whatever. You have to be able to make sure that the heating element turns off and doesn't set the room on fire. So all of these things we're talking about now are things where a product is designed to be used in a certain way, expected to be sometimes misused or knocked over, and whoever the designers are have to build in safety features to prevent harm when that happens. Absolutely. A product must be designed to be safe when used as humans use them, not as some design engineer says, well, if you hold your mouth a certain way and, and, and t- twist these two knobs at the same time, it's safe. No, right. that's not how people are. And, and we want them to be safe for how people use them. In fact, that get in, gets into an entire field called human factors. I, I kind of hate to jump out of order here, but because you mentioned human factors, we ought to talk about what that is and how it uh, intersects with warnings. So what is human factors? Human factors is basically how do humans behave? Uh, And how do they interpret things? Warnings may be intended in one way by a manufacturer, but are interpreted by humans in another way. And then instructions have to be understandable by the average consumer. Nobody is an expert in everything. Uh, the consumer deals with all kinds of products, and everything has to be made to where the consumer can understand the safe use. Okay. So uh, all, a human factor enters into every aspect of a product. One of the things that I think about when we talk about design defects and warnings is, is it okay to leave something in a dangerous condition if you warn about it, or no. if you can design it out, do you have to? No. There's different names for it. I like safety hierarchy. Right. And the first thing you look at as a safety engineer is first identify the problems. Everything starts from there. They have to look at it, not what did I intend for this to happen, but what might happen, what could go wrong. Once you identify those, the very first thing you try to do is design out the problem. For taking an absurd example, if something had a nail sticking up out of it, you identify that as a problem. The first thing you do is shorten the nail or remove it or somehow get rid of the problem. Sure. If you cannot eliminate the problem, then you say, how can I guard against it? And that's why all the machine guards, for example, exist. You know, how can I physically protect against this? Only if you try those things and they're not successful, then you do rely on warnings and instructions. 
they are the least effective, uh, and that's why they're reserved for only when nothing else can be done. Okay. Let me stop you for a second and talk about how this uh, concept of product liabilities and warnings and defective designs uh, is involved in our practice here. What kinds of products have you seen when uh, people have been injured and come here at Johnson Voorhees and Martucci for help? Give us some examples. It, it, they run the entire gamut. They, they really do. Uh, there have been instances where there were deaths due to fires, house fires, and, and that could be due in the past. Uh, we looked at things like Mr. Coffee coffee machines. They set off more than one fatal fire. Uh, you know, and space heaters, like I said, uh, ladders. And talking about ladders, ladder stands, which is a type of deer stand, a mm -hmm. hunting stand. Uh, it, in the past, we've looked at some some other types of products. Uh, I've handled defective automobile wheels, for example, uh, that broke and caused a wreck. Just really, even a bug zapper caused a substantial injury to a person because the bug zapper caught on fire for lack of a 10-cent fuse and uh, caused a fire which set off the house's fire alarm. The homeowner, a professional, uh, came running downstairs in the middle of the night to see why his house was on fire and did he have to get his wife and child out. Right. It caused him to fall and he sustained a serious uh, injury to his shoulder that kept him from working in his profession. Wow. So that was all because of the lack of a 10-cent fuse. So it can, it can be anything. It, it, there was one instance where there was a hood uh, on a truck, a, a semi-truck. The hood comes forward, and the, the hinge had be, been redesigned but no safety analysis had been performed of the redesign. They pulled the hood forward, the hinge failed, it broke, and so the hood, which is, even though fiberglass, several hundred pounds in weight, fell on top of the driver, hmm. causing serious back injury. So it, it can be a little bit of anything. The thing that I think is important for listeners or viewers to, to hear or see is that a lot of times what looks like an accident really isn't an accident. And I'll use your bug zapper or your hood case as an example is a lot of times what has happened is long, long ago in a boardroom somewhere, somebody has decided to save a couple of pennies by not including the 10 cent fuse or not running a safety analysis. And then maybe years later, something bad happens to somebody and the person who got hit on the head with a hood doesn't know all that. All they know is they got hit on the head and it's easy to blame the victim, to blame the person who was injured without going back and looking at that root cause. And that's one of the things that you and I spend a lot of time day in, day out is trying to figure out, was this an injury that was preventable and predictable? And very often it is. And unfortunately, it comes back a lot of times to companies trying to profit rather than put safety first. I mean, that's what I see. It, it, absolutely. Because the board of directors sitting there on the top floor of the office building, they report to the investors. And the investors, unfortunately, don't say, how many lives did you save? They say, how much money did you put in my pocket? Right. And that's all the corporation cares about, therefore. 
In the early days of corporations, the law even said they can only act to try to increase their profits. And that just made for serious safety concerns and dangerousness to everybody. I remember a couple of those, um, you find out later on, of course, where they did like the, the exploding pintos or some of the gas, station, uh, gas tank explosions. And there were internal memos that says, hey, by the way, for us to fix this problem, it would cost this much. And for us to pay for the deaths, it would cost this much. And so they choose to let people die because it's cheaper. Absolutely. And it, it, that's an interesting story because the first jury that got to see that infamous Ford Pinto memo told Ford, your math was a little off. Right. We're going to make sure that that math does not work for you again. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that you and I in this law firm try and do is we try and make sure that if a company is trying to put profit over the safety of people, that we make sure that that math doesn't work for them either. That's absolutely right. Part of what's fulfilling is not just obtaining compensation for the client, although that's very important. It can be life-altering whether they get this, the care and treatment that they need for the rest of their life. But when we cause the manufacturer and the seller to change their conduct, change their product, change their emphasis, that's especially uh, satisfying because who knows how many people we have saved from being injured or even killed. Right. One of the things I want to do is we've talked a little bit about the design where the product is just designed in a way that's unsafe. Uh, we've talked a little bit about warnings, but there's another category that you and I see fairly often, and that's it's designed fine and the warning is okay, but the process, there's a, there's a screw up or a defect in the actual manufacturing process. Uh, talk about that for a second, will you? It, it, yes. Uh, I've seen it a lot with metals, mm -hmm. uh, but any material uh, can come into that can come into a product is involved. If the design is done safely and the specification for the materials is adequate, but then the materials that are actually used are inadequate, that's a third type of product defect claim. Now, manufacturers have to know that sometimes your supplier messes up. Right. Uh, the suppliers have the same profit concerns as what the manufacturer does. Sometimes the supplier takes shortcuts, and the manufacturer has to make sure we don't use this defective metal, wood, whatever, in a product and hurt a consumer. Right. So they have to test and make sure, yes, I specified this grade of steel or concrete or whatever it is, and yes, that's what they gave me. And if they don't, that's a product defect. Gotcha. One of the things I think it would be important to talk about is what kind of cases we actually handle versus the kind that we typically don't handle. You mentioned a little bit of that. We stay away from the commercial cases. Uh, there are other law firms who do that. We're a personal injury, uh, catastrophic injury or death firm, which basically means that the product has to be dangerous and hurt somebody really bad or kill them. But I think it's important to, to let people know why it is that these cases are so difficult to bring and to win? First, we have to sort out what is this type of case. Right. And we often see mixed cases. Uh, you and I had one that involved a defective product that was mounted on a truck right. and killed a man. 
Well, there was both negligence by the truck owner and there was a product defect on the product that failed and, and killed the man. And, and you have to be able to sort through those and say, we need to analyze both. But then once you're going to analyze both, you need engineers, you need uh, materials testers, you need human factors experts, you need biomechanics. Because a biomechanic will often say, okay, if this product was designed to be used this way, but you try to do that, it hurts. Right, right. <laughs> and so people won't do that. Right. And this is how they will actually do use it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's foreseeable that they'll use it that way. Uh, that gets into both human factors and biomechanics. What are the ergonomics involved? Uh, and then even warnings and instructions has their own field of expertise. There's a separate set of standards applicable to that. And they, you know, it's instruction. It's not enough to, lay, to stick 25 different warnings on a product. If all they say is, don't do this, don't do this. You know, the warnings have to be specific and they have to be pinpointed to the particular dangers involved. It, manufacturers would rather just buy a bunch of random stickers put on the product instead of analyzing what does the consumer really need to know to use this product safely. It sounds like to bring a successful products case, we have to have a body of experts. I mean, usually these cases involve four or five different experts, at least in various fields. And that means that it's going to cost money and time to bring these claims. What about on the defense, on the company? Do they typically just roll over and hand out money? No. And this depends in part on the type of claim that you have. If you have a manufacturing defect where they had one bad batch of material, they'll take a look at it and say, oh, okay, maybe we messed up this time. If it's the design of the product that this company makes its profit off of, they are not defending this case and this particular item, they are defending the entire product line and the entire profitability of the corporation, including the officers and directors' bonuses. Right. So they will defend it to the death. So basically, they're worried about if we pay out on this claim, we're going to have a whole bunch of other claims that are going to come down the pipe and we'll go bankrupt or whatever. Absolutely. Never mind the fact that all these other things are hurting or killing people anyway. Yes. Right. Got it. Because it's it's all about money for a corporation. Um, I hate to bring up this topic right now, but because you and I have had a number of cases recently where this has come up, I want to mention it. What about when the product comes from overseas? For example, China. We have a number of times where products come from China. What do you do in that situation where you're hurt by an out-of-the-country produced product? Well, when it's a Chinese product, first, China has minimal, if any, consumer protections. Uh, second, you can't take a deposition in China. It, it, the way the laws are set up, I, I've read of one deposition taken in China in a civil matter. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen. And so you have to find somebody in the United States who's responsible. Now, assuming you didn't go to China and buy the product and bring it back with you, there probably is somebody in the United States that handled that product. 
often it's a seller and there are you can go after the seller that raises problems uh, just in fairness to whoever may be listening to this a lot of people will go on the internet and order something that was made in China that's a piece of junk that's unsafe and dangerous but you can never figure out who you bought it from right and so you you may be seriously hurt and left without a remedy but part of what we do is look for some connection somebody responsible that knows they're selling bad products that can be held liable and one of the things I want to make sure that people know is that for them to come here and talk with us about a dangerous product where they or a loved one has been hurt or killed is completely free. We will do this research. We will retain the experts. We'll figure out whether or not the product is truly dangerous, if there's a claim that you may have, and if we can get to whoever the responsible party is. And if we can't, it costs them nothing. Absolutely. It, it, if we don't take your case after investigation, you don't owe us a thing. And we end up investigating a lot more cases than we end up taking. Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we have been successful at, though, is holding the retailer or the seller responsible. And you and I have talked about that before. And sometimes it's a little interesting to convince the jury that that's the appropriate person to hold responsible for. But the seller is making a profit off of these dangerous uh, products and we want to make sure that they have a financial incentive to ask those questions is there a safety analysis is this thing safe before you introduce it into the market absolutely Be because the the seller makes you know they advertise we have low prices well they have low prices by paying little or nothing uh, for the product from China or, or Korea or wherever it is they're getting their products from uh, so that's their decision. They know that consumers who get hurt can't be compensated from the manufacturer. And so they know that it, they are the people that have the knowledge and the ability to make sure they only sell safe products. One thing I want to make sure that we cover today, too, is the types of claims that we look at and are willing to handle. Uh, I think you've mentioned some of these, but let me run down the list of a couple that I know of home appliances that cause fires or electrocution. We've got uh, lots of car crashes, crashworthiness, even car fire cases. We've got falling object cases, whether it's a bookcase, a stove, uh, an overhead uh, basketball goal, lots of different fall type cases, ladder climbing, anything like that where there's a failure that causes you to fall. We have lots of explosion. I don't think we've talked about that yet. We've had, a, 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 we've had some fuel cell explosion cases, gas tank, uh, propane cases. We've had more than our share of propane cases. Yes. Um, and I think sometimes people don't think about that. And it may not be a product case, maybe a negligence case where somebody has messed up in the fueling or the maintenance of the propane tank. But a lot of times it is a product case. And a lot of times it's both. That's true. True. Uh, it may be because somebody was negligent, but the reason they were negligent was because of the way the product was designed or the warnings that were given. And so that's another one of those types of misuse, mis, excuse me, mixed use cases uh, that we have to be aware of when we investigate. I want to talk about one more thing, and that's the team of experts and the trial experience here that's required to successfully bring these cases to trial. Um, we've talked about the number of experts. We're also going to have all the normal medical and damages, economists, vocational rehabilitation. 
And then I can't think of a product case that at least two attorneys here didn't work on. Usually it's more than two because they're just such a complex case. Yes. And so if you're injured by a product and you want somebody to investigate it, we want to make sure that you're going to a law firm that has the team of qualified attorneys and experts and the money to be able to investigate those fully. Yeah. We advance all expenses in the cases. And in order to work them up properly, we have to have the money, the funds, uh, always available to investigate the cases. And if we take them to work them up for trial, and the client doesn't pay anything to us, even for those expenses, until we get them a recovery. And I like product liability cases, and I know you do too, because it is probably one of the clearest areas where we know that these kinds of lawsuits, these kinds of claims, make the world safer for all of us. And very often, the people we're protecting are kids. Yes. They're not the ones who put something together right. to you know, choose it, but they're the ones who are hurt. And the parents and others have a right to rely upon the manufacturer and the seller to only provide safe products to. Glenn, one of the things that we hear about from time to time is how are products cases different than, say, the simple run-of-the-mill fall-down case or, or a car wreck case? Is it basically the same thing or is it markedly different? Markedly different, consider so? considerably more complex. Uh, as you can tell by the list of experts that we often have to hire in the case, uh, the you know, medical malpractice is probably the other highly complex type of case we handle here. And and the product case often has more experts. Right. Uh, and that's on both sides. So we not only have to hire the our experts and work with them in getting their opinions developed, we also have to go to wherever the defense experts are, pay them their deposition fee, and take their deposition and then prepare for them for trial. So it's very work intensive and very expensive. The other thing that may be important to talk about is very often the product maker has already had experts lined up and prepared their defense long in advance. I remind myself of the smoking defense because a lot of times the injured person comes into court, you know, and they've started preparing the case a year or two after they got sick. And you go back and you look at like Philip Morris, who hired experts and scientists and created fake data for decades to try and defend that case. Absolutely. Uh, it, big Tobacco spent a lot of money early on paying scientists to produce false reports. I remember literally they had TV ads of a doctor smoking a, a cigarette. I think it was Viceroy bragging about how safe it was for you and, and how it was healthy. Right. And, and so they, they'll do anything. The truth is meaningless to some of these corporations. And I think that's why it's important for us, for law firms like us, and for injured folks to, to get out there and make sure that the truth comes to light so that the dangerous products can be taken off the market. Because we can let companies produce good products and make good profits, but we can't let them go around hurting and killing people. That's absolutely right. It, you know, give the consumer his due, make a safe product. And if you can't make a safe product, find a safe product you can make. You know, that's, that's all we ask. Perfect. All right.